Hey, what's up everybody? This is Vincent. Hope you guys are doing well. Today, wanted to go over here with you something that keeps coming up over and over and over again. And that is how to legally cancel a contract. I don't know why this is such a, an anomaly of um, lack of education that's out there, but there is a way to legally cancel a contract. Okay. Most of what you're being taught, most of what I see daily is not how you do it. Okay. So you guys need to understand that as we get into this. So let's talk about what the purpose of a contract first. Okay. The purpose of a contract is to do what? And I've covered this before in blog posts and Facebook posts before, but let's get down to the nitty gritty of the purpose of a contract. Purpose of a contract is to come to a meeting of the minds between the two or more parties involved in the contract, where each is going to hold up their end of the agreement, okay? Now, if we want to take it at a more granular level, and if you've ever read any of the podcasts, I'm sorry, not podcasts, the uh, blog posts or other articles that I've written on this in the past or listened to it on the podcast, the actual purpose of a contract, for those of you who don't understand contract law, and if you don't understand statutory law and how things actually function is the sole purpose of a contract is for you as the person signing the contract to give up specific rights in exchange for something else that you find of value being provided by the other party. And the reason that you have to do that, the reason that you sign, you are knowingly putting yourself in harm's way, putting yourself at risk by executing a contract because you are waiving certain rights that you have, that is the sole purpose of a contract. So understand that. Every time you put your name on the dotted line in ink or digital execution nowadays with DocuSign and Write Signature and HelloSign and everything else, you need to understand what it is that you're doing because you're openly, openly, putting yourself at risk, okay? That's the whole purpose, so that you can give up rights. Why? So someone can prosecute you for damages in the event that you do not hold up your end of the bargain. That is why you sign a contract. That is why contracts are in writing, okay? So understand that that is the sole purpose of a contract. Now, at the other level, so you guys can have a meeting of the minds so that, you know, you don't have to worry about somebody's memory, okay? And make sure everybody's on the same page. We're all agreeing to the same thing. We all understand what we're agreeing to. That's the other purpose of a contract on a different scale and a different level. And what happens, and I see this every single day, is that people that are, going into these contracts or whatever, they're being taught by these guru shills to put in clauses that are completely illegal and fraudulent so they can weasel their way around um, avoiding any type of actual commitment, which negates the whole purpose of a contract to begin with. And so what happens is people go out there and they're actually um, committing what's called fraud in the inducement. Okay, they, they, they commit what's called fraud in the inducement when they go out there and they talk to a, a seller or a buyer, it doesn't make a difference, whoever, okay? And what ends up happening is 
they go into these agreements totally based on fraud to begin with. Now, they have the, may have the best intentions that they're going to, if it's, you're talking about a standard, quote-unquote, wholesale deal or a contract assignment, they may have the best intentions in the world in order to flip that contract or flip that property, but the way they go about it is completely illegal, okay? You guys need to understand that when you're signing these things with people out there. You don't have to lie to sellers in order to do deals. It's not, absolutely not necessary, and you don't have to go through all these 27 gyrations as it relates to getting a property under contract, getting it, quote-unquote, off the market so that you have marketing time and all that. And what they end up teaching people to do is go out there uh, with fraudulent intent and lie to a seller, okay? And in the event that – let me back up. Contract on the house so you can get the seller to take the property off the market so you then buy time to market the property, right? And in the event that you can't find a cash buyer or an assignee, then you use one of these – pardon my language, earmuffs everybody, one of these bullshit weasel clauses to, to then uh, theoretically, which is not true, by the way, but it's, it's the argument presented to the seller, to theoretically then have a legal way out. We're going to cover what those are here in a second, so you guys hopefully will understand and learn not to do it that way because that's not how you do it. You're going to get, I'm telling you guys, you know, everybody's all ha ha ha, whatever. You're all, you're like, you know, some sort of legal, whatever, legal, legal here with all this stuff. And it's all funny, right? Everything's all, everything's legal until you get caught. Okay. And it only takes one time with somebody that knows what they're doing to come after you, right? And or get pissed off and then go after the attorney general or whoever, the prosecutor, whatever it is. And all of a sudden you got major problems. Now, see, you don't see people going on Facebook talking about all that. No, they want to talk about the deal they did and how they're screwing people and how they're uh, putting all these weasel clauses and telling sellers all the stuff that then never materializes or comes true. Same thing with the crap about um, the, the deposit money going to the title company, whatever it is, and, oh, it'll be there within 10 days of XYZ and all this stuff. And, of course, the intent is for no EMD to ever go to a title company because you don't want to put any money down unless you've got somebody already locked in to buy the property, right, or to assign it to or whatever. And that's what they're teaching you guys, and it's totally, totally wrong. So now that you know what the purpose of the contract is, let me show you how not to do it, how, how you don't do it if you want to legally, I'm talking about legally, without any type of issues ever going forward, cancel a contract. We're going to cover all the different ways that you can do that here in a second. But this is what you don't do, okay? You don't go in with fraudulent intent from the very beginning and put escape clauses. And there's nothing wrong with an escape clause if it's legitimate, but that's not what most people are doing. They're putting these escape clauses, AKA weasel clauses in so they can weasel out of keeping their commitment in the event they can't find a buyer. Okay. That's, there is a way to do it that to, let me, let me say this the right way. There is a way to put a clause in the contract that provides you everything that you're looking for Gives you marketing time, everything else, without you having to put in a weasel clause or lie to a seller. Okay? And I can show you how to do all of that. So understand that. You don't have to lie to them. You don't have to have these fake bogus uh, escape clauses and weasel clauses in these contracts to go out there in the marketplace and do business. And here's what happens. You need to understand why I get so violent and vehement about this kind of stuff. It's because... There is a person there, a seller, and if you're doing a standard wholesale deal, nine times out of ten, you guys are looking for, quote-unquote, motivated, oh, motivated seller. In other words, that's um, basically a uh, polite way of saying they're under some type of duress to the point 
that they are willing to, to sell the property at 60 or 70% of actual fair market value so they can get quick cash. And so what you're taught to do by these other clowns is to go out there once you found this person and take advantage of them, right, and lie to them about all the stuff that's in the contract. They think you're an actual buyer and you're not. You're not disclosing what your actual intent is 99% of the time. And then you put in all of these bogus weasel clauses like the, like the inspection clause, right, <clears throat> so that in the event that you can't find a buyer, you know, you bought time. But the problem is you've got a real-life person out there, okay, somebody's mom, somebody's dad, somebody's uncle, brother, sister, cousin, whatever, that is going through whatever they're going through that would motivate them to take a 30 or 40% haircut on a property so that you can then go out there and market. And they're counting on you to do what? One simple friggin' thing. And that is keep your word. Okay? That's the purpose of the contract. For them to keep their word to you and you to keep your word to them. Okay? That's what they're counting on. And so they get their contract with you, and guess what happens? They take the property off the market. Now you go out there and you horse around, spend two, three, four weeks. You don't know what you're doing. You took some idiot course, right? You didn't have buyers already lined up. You didn't already know what they wanted. You didn't know you already had a deal that could close, bam, with no issues. And you go out there and shop the crap all over Facebook. It gets daisy chain 97 ways from Sunday. Nobody even knows if it's a real deal, okay? And then at that point, three, four weeks down the road, now it comes time to close, and guess what? You can't close. You got no buyer. You have no assignee. You got nothing. So now it comes time to, oh, we got to get out of this contract because the seller, guess what? He's going to be starting to call, right? Title company says that we're not scheduled to close. What's up? Right? He's counting on the money. He's got some other issue. He may be about to have, you know, you don't know what's going on. And so then you come up and you tell the guy another lie. You say, oh, well, blah, 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 the inspection didn't come back or the inspection didn't come back the way we liked it or the third-party non-existent buyer um, didn't care for the property, you know, blah, 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 so we're going to cancel the contract, okay? Totally illegal, completely fraudulent. That's not how you do it, my friends, okay? Not how you do it. So don't do that. If you're doing that, stop doing that. Stop listening to these guys. Here's how you do it. Okay, it's very, very simple. Put in legitimate contingencies. And there are tons of legitimate contingencies that you can put into a contract. Could be a clause based on the appraised value. That's a legitimate contingency. Okay? I'm buying a property, I've got to appraise, otherwise I can't get financing on it. So listen, Mr. Seller, I'll put an appraisal clause in there. Okay? Or standard one on, on conventional retail is the ability, ability to obtain financing. Nothing wrong with that. You tell the guy up front, hey, my contract, right, my agreement with you is contingent upon my ability to obtain financing, right? Inspection, that's a standard contingency, a real, I'm talking about a, a bona fide legitimate inspection that's designed to cover, uncover any, you know, non-disclosed or unknown material defects in the property, Right? any unknown deferred maintenance, right? Leg I'm talking about a legitimate inspection clause, okay? So here's, a, here's an example of a legitimate inspection clause. The last house that I built, I had, guess what? A legitimate inspection clause in there. And I paid $650 for an inspector to go out there and inspect the property that was new construction, 
And he gave me a 65-page report when it was all said and done. And I was happy that I paid the money because in, in literally two minutes of him being there, he found by sticking his laptop into uh, one of the electrical outlets, he had some kind of probe that he had, found unshielded electrical wiring behind the drywall, shoved into and wrapped around with insulation. And by insulation, I'm talking about the uh, fiberglass insulation. And he's like, look, you know, you got one little power spike, and all of a sudden this thing, this thing arcs, and the whole house is coming down. And what had happened was the drywallers ended up covered it all up before the electricians were done. Okay, so I got live wires back behind the wall, which obviously is less than ideal, if you know what I'm saying, especially when it's below the kids' rooms. Okay, so what did I do? I said, hey, Mr. Builder, guess what? Here's my 65-page report. Now, I'm in the business. I realize that 64 and a half of these pages are cosmetic nonsense that, you know, really... Yes, he's, he's citing the code and all that stuff. But the real, the main thing that I need you to fix is this unshielded wiring that's behind the wall, okay? Period in the story. That's it. I'm not closing until that's fixed. Because I don't want to die. I don't want to burn to death. I don't, you know, I don't want to be not at the house and all of a sudden my wife and kids are there and the house is coming down because it's on fire. Okay? So that's a legitimate inspection clause. And that's a normal clause on a contract. But when you're using the fake non-identified, unknown, third-party third party buyer or assignee as the person supposedly doing the inspection whose approval you have to get unless you're defining and disclosing that up front. It's complete fraud. Okay, If you're using that as an out because you can't find the buyer, that's not how you do it, guys. Okay, So stop doing that. If you want to have it based on your ability to locate a buyer or locate an assignee, simply put it in the contract. This contract is contingent upon buyer's ability to find assignee who will pay X. Then you have full disclosure up front. Then you don't have to worry about inspection clauses. You don't have to worry about anything else. You've told the guy, hey, up front, look, here's the situation. I'm an investor. You know, I may double close this or I may assign it. I'm not sure which, right? But in the event that situations occur that I decide not to double close it, I want the ability to assign, and I want it to be contingent upon my ability to sign, to assign. And then you're probably, your reaction is going to be, well, hey, what, what happens then if the guy balks, the seller balks because he doesn't want to take the property off the market because he doesn't have a bona fide deal that he knows is going to close? Not a problem. That's easy to solve. All you have to do, guess what? Very simple. Mr. Seller, I understand your concern. You can use the feel, felt, found method on them. Many of my sellers have felt the same way. But what they found was that if we did a kickout clause and I allowed them to continue marketing the property for a conventional cash sale, that 99% of the time I could, I'd close before they ever found one or whatever your statistics are, okay? But you can be honest with people say, hey, listen, here's the deal. I don't need you to take the property off the market. This is what I believe that I can do. My contract's going to be contingent upon my ability to perform that. Now, I don't want to hamstring you and harm you from potentially getting your money 
by taking the property off the market in the event that I can't perform, what kind of person wants to do that? Sadly, apparently, a lot of wholesalers, right? But that's how you do it. I mean, it's very, very simple. You just tell the guy, look, here's the deal. You don't have to stop marketing. If you get something that you feel like is legitimate and they can prove up with, you know, true cash to close and all those things, then you can give me a 48-hour kickout clause and either have to go hard with money and promise to close or I get kicked out of my position. Okay? Very, very simple. And that way you don't have to get involved in all this. Okay? So what do you do? And this, this stuff actually happens too. So let's say you're in a scenario where you need to cancel, but you really don't have any justifiable reason. Okay? I'll give you a real-life scenario that we had with one of, our, one of my JVPs. He went out, and if you guys have questions, go ahead and um, ask him on, on the whatever there's the Facebook thing so I can answer him real quick while I'm on here. But real-life story, true story, last year, one of my JVPs, he had contracted on a, it was a commercial development project, okay? Contracted to purchase on a commercial, there was nothing there. There was, um, I don't even think, if I remember correctly, I don't, I don't even think the curbing was in yet. It was basically had all of the documentation. Uh, there was a syndicate that had gotten together as a group of doctors that had gotten together and they bought this parcel of land, they paid for all the engineering specs, they paid for all the permitting, paid for all the stuff, blah, blah, blah. And then, as typically happens, they didn't know what the hell they were doing, don't understand how to do a commercial development, so I get asked to come in and, and jump in. The very first thing I do is I take a look at the contract that he had, and it was, just, it was the standard bullshit wholesale contract, purchase sale contract for cash. Well, guess what? He didn't have the cash to close, and he had no idea... Um, who to assign it to, and, oh, by the way, had no idea how to bring a commercial development out of the ground and what the very first step was. So I had to spend all the time educating him on, look, here's how you do it. You know, you start looking at, you have to, uh, first thing we're going to do is we're going to find who is the anchor tenant going to be because the anchor tenant's going to bring in all the little mom-and-pop shops that will then fill in and feed the rest, right? So we got to focus on who, who the anchor tenant's going to be based on the space, blah, blah, blah. We actually ended up doing a call with... Um, did end up doing a call with the uh, Economic Development Council for the county that the property was in to see if we could get what are called tax abatements for anybody coming in or if we could get them so that we could minimize um, the taxable, you know, the tax expense that we would have associated with the property as we're going through development and bringing this thing out of the ground because it was right across the street from the courthouse and the police station and all this stuff. And... So, I mean, we, we went through this entire project process to bring this thing to fruition. But I had to get involved on a totally different level because I had to have a conversation with the guy. I'm like, look, you know, your entire contract here is predicated on fraud. So before we can do anything and proceed, you know, we're going to have to come clean with the seller and explain to him exactly what the situation is. I understand you're young. You don't want to come out and look like an idiot. Uh, or likely, like you were trying to rip the guy off, or that you don't know what you're doing. But I'm going to have to have a conversation. We'll do a three-way call, and I'll have the conversation with the guy. I say, look, he's new. He didn't understand all of this stuff. That's why he asked me to get involved. So I'm here to tell you how it actually is. This is the reality. This is what we can do. This is what we need from you. And if all that sounds you know, great, let's go ahead and amend the contract the way that we need it to be so we can get a viable deal and get you guys paid. Okay. 
And let me explain this to you. When you go to somebody and you, you're honest with them and you have that conversation, right, and apologize and ask forgiveness and all these things, and you go through that whole, um, you know, you got to be humble and say, look, here's, here's the situation, blah, 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 apologize. You know, please forgive me. He's new, young. He asked me for help. I took a look at it. Here's our situation. Here's how we can fix it. This is what we need from you. And guess what? Of course, and the seller's unbelievably amenable because he's got nothing else. And you're being honest with him. You're saying, hey, look, we got to renegotiate this. Okay? Otherwise, I mean, he can't perform. And I'm sorry that you have this contract, but he can't, he can't do it. And I was honest with him. And guess what? We had no issues. There was no litigation. Didn't get sued. Didn't get anything. Now, if you're in a scenario where and sometimes these things happen, you know, think, you know, life, four-letter word called life, right? If you're in a scenario where you can't perform through no fraudulent intent of your own, Right? Something happened, you know, God forbid, you, know, you had money and something else happened, there was a car accident, or God, whatever the situation was, whatever it is that's preventing you from actually closing, then you have to have that's another conversation that you have, okay? And in that scenario, then what you're going to do is you're going to work towards, say, you know, again, honestly, here's my situation. I apologize. There's no fraudulent intent. You know, please forgive me, but I cannot. Sadly, I don't have the resources with which to um, perform on this contract. I don't want to hold you up or keep you from getting your money or doing like that. So this is what we can do. And at that point, what you're looking for is what's called a general and mutual release. Okay, because you want to get release of that liability associated with that contract that you've got. You get a waiver of liability and you get a hold harmless agreement. And in that situation, then now you're legally out of that contract and, you know, legal, you know, technically, legally, they can never come after you unless they found fraud um, in the inducement from the very beginning. But under a normal scenario, if that was the case and you got the general mutual release, the waiver and the hold harmless agreement, then you're, you're technically out and there's no issues. Okay. Now, let me give you a, another real world example of that. So I did this deal for one of my, uh, one of my buyers in Atlanta. It was a property that I got and... So he is in a scenario, was the owner finance deal, sell him the property on contract. All of a sudden I get a call. He's like, hey, man, you know, I've, they're, they're offering me this uh, job opportunity down in Tampa. You know, I really can't pass that up. What is there something that we can do with this? Because uh, I'd hate to miss out on this, this job opportunity or whatever. So what did I do at that point? Very simple. We're going to back up and punt. We're going we're gonna to rethink. We're going to say, okay. Well, I can do one of two things. I can either replace him as a buyer in the property, right? Or I can get him out of the contract altogether. This was actually an assignment deal. Okay, this was not a sandwich. It was an assignment deal. So in that scenario, I called up the seller, had him on the phone. We did a three-way call. And I said, and he's been, of course, he's been living in the house. Now, so understand that. This is a contract for deed deal. He's been living in the house, making payments, no problems, whatever. But all of a sudden now, he's got an opportunity to make, a bunch of, uh, to make more money down in Tampa from Atlanta. So he wants to go. So I said, hey, this seller, here it is. Here's the situation. This is what we got going on. Um, got a couple different options here. Wanted to see, you know, what makes the most sense for you with where you're at. Option A is we can replace him and get, you know, basically a surrogate buyer to just come in and take over his existing contract if that's, if that's what you want to do. Or if you have some other plans uh, for the property, we could execute a general mutual release and everybody goes on down the road, right? Which would you prefer? And let me explain to you what I did there so this will make sense. This is not patting myself on the back, so I don't under misunderstand that. 
It's trying to do, do right by people, okay? Here's the situation. It's not what we agreed to, right? But here's where we're at, and here are two different solutions. Which would you prefer? And, you know, you let them make that decision at that point in time, but it's not like you have abandoned them and bailed out. You're coming to them, here, you know, uh, problem, solution, problem, solution, problem, solution. Which solution do you want? We're happy to make you whole and get another buyer in there if that's what you want. Or we're also happy, okay, to walk away if you would prefer that. Either one's fine. Which would you like? And in that situation, she actually had a friend that was going through a divorce who needed an immediate place to live. And it worked out harmoniously, serendipitously, and perfectly. We got the general mutual release, the waiver of liability, and the hold harmless agreement. He moved down to Tampa. The uh, person get divorced moved in, her girlfriend, everything was fine. Perfect. But that only happened because we had that conversation and were honest up front and not trying to take advantage of her, not trying to harm her, not bailing out. All of a sudden, he's just gone in the middle of the night, which is what most people end up doing. Okay? And so you got to have these conversations with people. So you can get out of them. But this whole, this whole thing that, you know, contracts can be canceled Oh, I'll just cancel the contract. Well, what's the that's defies all logic. And the, the you know the purpose of a contract is if it's going to be a throwaway document anyway. See what happens is this, and this is where it gets infuriating. So, the wholesaler guy, the the quote unquote investor, wants the contract to be binding, if he's going to make money. Okay. And if he's not going to make money, then he wants the contract to be um, for his, him, him to have the ability to cancel the contract on a whim based on bogus clauses in the agreement. Okay, And that's not, like I said, I went back and I showed you guys, if you haven't watched this whole thing, you need to go back and watch the replay, how to do it the right way where you can get all of those things legally without having to defraud a seller, which is what most of the wholesalers, unfortunately, sadly, are doing when they go out there and they lock these properties up. Now, the reason I get so angry about some of this stuff is because I have seen people many times over and over again where these quote-unquote wholesalers have gone out there, locked the property up, made all kinds of promises, didn't perform, didn't deliver, and now we've got some poor seller in uh, foreclosure and bankruptcy because he didn't get the 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, 100 grand out from underneath the mortgage, the whole nine yards that he was promised that he was going to get in the contract if he would take the property off the market. Okay, And that lost marketing time is huge for a seller, especially when they're in a duress situation or what you guys call motivated. They're motivated to take a, a haircut, to get their head knocked off at 30 to 40% of fair market value. Right? They're motivated for a reason because they're under duress most of the time. And so if you're going to go out there and do those deals, you need to do a, a true arm's length transaction where you're being honest with the seller. If Let me explain this to you again so it makes sense. If you want the deal to be contingent upon your ability to locate an assignee or locate a person to buy the property from you on a double close, just say so in the contract. Make it contingent upon that, and you will have no problems. You've done full disclosure. 
to the seller. They understand what you're doing. They understand that it may not close because you can't find a buyer. Okay, what's wrong with that? Why, why do people have to go out there and lie? Right? You're, telling, you're being honest with the guy, and if he says, no, I don't want to do that because you know, I may get somebody else that comes in with cash, fine. Not a problem. Keep marketing the property. Put in a kick-out clause. We'll, we'll amend it that you can continue marketing the property exactly as you're doing right now. And if you get somebody that comes in that proofs up with actual cash, that can't close, then I have 48 hours to go hard and promise and guarantee my ability to close on a certain date or boom, kicked out, walk away. Okay? Does that make sense? Anybody? I see a lot of people on here. Does that make sense at all? You guys understand what I'm saying? Okay? But other than that, you can't just quote-unquote cancel a contract just because you decide that... Um, You can't find a buyer. Know what I mean? All right. You guys are awful quiet. No likes, no hearts, no love. <laughs> I don't even know what that does. What does that do on Facebook Lives? Does anybody know? I have no idea. I don't know why everybody's always asking for the likes, the, the hearts, and all that crap. But whatever. All right, so I guess nobody has any questions. I don't, if that helps you, you know, let me know. If that doesn't help you, let me know. If you don't give a damn and you want to keep going out there and stringing people along and you don't care, well, you know, um, the piper comes calling. That's all I can tell you. All right, Chris, what are you saying? I have a purchase and sale agreement contract that states and or assignee that I received from a previous guru course. If I submit it to you for review, can you tell me what I need to do to it to make it legal in accordance with what you're saying? Yeah, what they're doing, okay, what's happened here over the years is <clears throat> these, um, if you guys go back, okay, and this is this is me, I'm going to toot my own horn here for a second. Um. But you got to understand, if you, got, you guys can verify all this stuff on your own. Ask Jonathan Rexford, ask Bill Walston, ask the guys that have been watching me for the last five years, okay, on, on, and stuff on Facebook. Five years ago, there was nobody in any REI arena anywhere, no Facebook group, no anything, talking about equitable interest. And the reason they weren't talking about it is because they didn't know what it was, okay? Since then, it's, here, let me give you an example. It's probably the perfect example. So... This is this is part of this is the curse of um, education. Okay, the, the, this is part part of the curse of, of, of uh, high intelligence in education. Not that I'm highly intelligent, but I test really well on the IQ things. The curse of that is going back to the 1970s. 1970s. Okay. 1980s, I was telling people about the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve is not federal. It's not a reserve. It's a private corporation. There is no money. There is no gold. None of There's nothing backing your money. Blah, blah, blah. All of this stuff, right? And you go back 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and guess what? What did people... People laughed. They laughed at me like, like, I, was, like I was a lunatic, right? Like you're crazy. What are you talking about, right? Like I'm some kind of nut job. Because I knew way back when, hey, guys, wake up. This is what's happening, right? This is what these guys are doing. And people look at you like you're nuts. Oh, you're some tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist. And then what happened is 25 years later, 
uh, I don't know, what was it? Ron Paul comes out and in the Fed and all this kind of stuff. And it finally makes its way mainstream. And so now it's like you tell people when you get on Facebook and they see, oh, Federal Reserve, everybody knows now that it's not federal, it's not a reserve. They're starting to understand fiat currency and um, the, uh, the debt slave, you know, the bond slaves and how the whole thing is starting to function. But in my lifetime, understand, 40 years ago, that was not the case, okay? You would very rarely come across anybody that had any understanding whatsoever of money, how it actually works, fiat currency, the Federal Reserve, right? What an SDR is. Most of the people on here probably don't even know what an SDR is, right? Anybody know what an SDR is? If you know, leave a comment. What's an SDR? Don't Google it. Just if you know it, tell me what an SDR is, right? Why is that important? Anybody have any clue? Probably not. Because they don't teach you the stuff in school because they're, they're creating a merry band of slaves. And it's easier to control slaves that are not educated. So... Anyway, go back 40-some-odd years ago, and that was the case. And then, you know, slowly over time, I've watched this over the last four decades, where it's gotten more and more to the mainstream. And now I tell people about it, it's like not, not really that big of a deal. More people have been exposed to it. They understand the concept of what you're talking about. You go back five years ago, there was nobody on Facebook groups talking about equitable interest. There was nobody in Facebook groups, that's why I got kicked out of so many, talking about the illegalities of uh, what the wholesalers were doing and what they were being taught. Right? No, there's nobody. You, you, you still to this day can't find anybody else that's corrected anybody about what they're calling wholesaling. It's not wholesaling. It's contract assignments. Okay? Wholesaling, again, investor to investor. has to be investor to investor. A double close. That is a wholesale deal. It is not a contract assignment. Totally different thing. Totally different animal. That's why I laugh at you guys when you, have to, when you wait for a closing to get paid because you don't understand how they actually function. And once you've assigned all right title and interest in that agreement, you're done. You didn't have to pay you a dime. You're out. But they make you, they got you guys jockeying, you know, playing title jockey and all this crazy nonsense for, to, to then wait to maybe get paid, maybe not, to then be on a HUD uh, for a transaction that you're not a party to. And it's idiotic. But five years ago, there was nobody on here telling anybody anything. Now what's happened is if you take a look over the last year, year and a half, all of a sudden, the term equitable interest keeps getting thrown around. Why is that? The reason why that is is because I have busted so many people out about the fact that they don't have equitable interest in the property and they're out there marketing houses, which is illegal. Okay, It's not your house. You don't have the ability to do that unless you have equitable interest, conveyance, power of attorney, right? Unless you're a realtor and you have a listing agreement or you have legal title. But there's nobody telling anybody this kind of stuff. And like I said, you know, in the very beginning, it's all fun and games. Everybody can laugh at me, ha, 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 whatever, right? The legal Nazi and everything else. I don't care about all that. It's all fun and games until guess what? You get those silver bracelets slapped on, right? Or the attorney general gives you a phone call and you're shaking in your boots because you don't know how to handle it. And you know that what you've been doing now that you've been listening is completely illegal. It's all fun and games. You don't see people going out there, hey, guess what just happened to me? I got, you know, blah, blah, blah. The attorney general called and I found out that everything I learned in this course was total bullshit, Right? You don't hear people going on and on about that because they don't um, broadcast that, right? They want to show you their, their, their paycheck or their friggin' um, Bentley or their Lamborghini or whatever it is. <clears throat> and so you guys got to understand this stuff for, for what it is, okay? There's a reason. It's easy to sell people who don't know any better, who don't do their due diligence, who don't self educate on reality, who don't vet what they're being told. It's easy to sell those people 
systems that require them to commit fraud, especially when they're in a, put in a herd environment where all of their buddies and everybody else is doing the exact same thing and committing fraud. Okay? And it's absolutely unnecessary. You don't have to do it. Okay? You can be totally honest, totally upfront, and accomplish all of the same things without any type of back-end potential issues and where you didn't have to screw some seller because you told them that you were a buyer when you weren't. So you could buy time to market a property that you already should have known that you could have gotten rid of if you had pre-qualified your buyers and assignees in advance and knew what their metrics were. Okay? So you don't have to do all those things. So when I tell you guys stuff, it's, it's for a reason. It, hopefully it will help you in this. You can do business the right way. You can do business legally. I don't care what these other clowns are teaching you. You know, it's an example like this other clown doing the, the one-page lease option. Great. Why do they? Why does he keep selling that? Okay? He knows it's completely illegal because I've told him. He knows it's completely illegal because the attorney he had to go get when I busted him the first time told him. But guess what? Here he is back at it again selling the one-page lease option agreement. Why? Because that, you know, that fast track, that get-rich-quick scheme of... Making it easy, 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 easy. It sells, okay? And it's all fun and games until you end up in a courtroom. So you guys need to understand that for what it is. Contracts, listen, if you're not going to perform on the contract, don't sign the damn thing. Don't waste people's time, okay? Or if you're in a situation where, hey, you know what? I may not be able to find a buyer for this. Guess what? Do you have, you have any idea how many contracts I've executed with sellers on properties where up front, they were told, hey, you know what? Here's the deal. This is what I think I can do. And if I can, great. And if not, guess what? We'll make this thing non-exclusive. We'll have a kick-out clause. And you keep rocking on because I'm not here to hurt you. Why should you pay a penalty if I can't perform? That's not the seller's fault. Okay? So if you're so desperate for a deal that you feel like you've got to go out there and lie to them and induce them fraudulently into signing these contracts where they think that you're the buyer and you think some bullshit weasel clause contingency ins or, uh, ins contingent upon inspection by the, the unknown third-party buyer that doesn't exist that you don't know about, okay? Because if you have, feel like you have to do it, just do it the right, just tell them what you're doing. Just put it in, hey, hey this is contingent upon my ability to find third-party buyer or assignee, period, end of story. There it is, black and white, right? The guy says no. Why? Why not? Well, because I may be able to sell it. I don't want the property held up and tied up in the event that you can't find it. Fine. Kick out clause. Okay? Non-exclusive deal. You keep marketing it. You find a buyer that has cash that's ready, willing, and able to close and can't proof up. And you can put that in there, too, so you don't get one of these clowns that provides them the, uh, the bogus uh, transactional funding letters or whatever, like I showed you guys last week. <laughs> Guy in a group. Oh, just, just give them a fake letter, Right? Guy could actually proof up with a bank statement of his own or whatever. You can put all this stuff in there. And that way you can still lock the, you know, quote unquote, lock the property up, lock your position up and go out there and then take that contract into the marketplace to sell it or assign it. Or let me rephrase that to sell the property on a double close or to assign the contract. Right. You can still do all of those things. But you, and the beauty of it is you don't have to lie. But I know a lot of those people that are out there would rather 
I had a guy that worked for me years ago. He would lie when the truth was actually better. Unbelievable. And I know there's people out there that are like that. People sometimes people they feel like they gotta, um, you know, they feel like they gotta stick it to somebody. Otherwise, they're not happy, right? They gotta lie to them. Otherwise, they're not happy. And I had a guy <clears throat> work for me in sales. Fantastic salesperson. And I would be standing there listening to him sometimes, and he would tell us a, a buyer stuff that I'm like, what the hell did you tell him that for? The truth was 10 times better than what you told him. But it's like, you know, he couldn't help himself. It's like, the, if you guys know the story of the scorpion and the frog, can't help myself. It's in my nature. And some people are like that. But you don't need to be that way, okay? If you guys are watching this, hopefully you're watching this so you can understand how to do these things correctly, legally, without getting yourself embroiled into potential issues when you're out there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with transparency on a transaction. Okay. It is the best way to do it. And if you don't know that you can perform, let them know why create additional stress down the road where then you feel like you've got to lie and come up with, Oh, well, we're, we can't find or the third party buyer didn't approve the transaction. That's a lie. That's fraud also. Right. It's all funny until they pull you into court. Really? Who was the third party buyer? He doesn't exist. Where's he at? Let's bring him in here. Right? Let's, let's depose him. Put him under oath. Yeah, it's not funny now, is it? Right? Not funny now. But that's the kind of stuff that happens, guys. So, anyway, hopefully that was beneficial. So, somebody, uh, Lynn Wetzel said, yeah, special drawing rights. That's what an SDR is held by. Um, that's uh, Rothschild's nonsense for it's a basket of currencies, but plus the ability to, to buy gold at, I forget what, I think $32 an ounce or something. After, I'd actually have to go back and look that up. It's some ridiculous amount. When they stole the gold back uh, in the days of FDR, when they created the 14th Amendment, bond slave, United States citizen. You guys don't want to be a United States citizen. I know it probably doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's only because you don't understand the definition of United States citizen and what they created with the artificial corporations and the bond slaves, where they collateralize you, your life, your wife, your husband, your kids, your property, your income, your labor, everything to pay the fake debt. But that's another conversation for another day. Yes, special, they're called special drawing rights as it relates to currency. Okay? You guys understand currency, US dollar, fiat currency. Um, Deutsch, what are they, Deutschmarks? I don't even have those anymore. I don't know. The Euro, fiat currency. British pound, fiat currency. All these things are all fiat. It's all fake. It's all funny money, monopoly money, backed by nothing. It's all debt-based, collateralized by you, sadly. Um, but the most valuable of all of the currencies, bar none, is the SDR. It is the supreme fiat currency that's out there, special drawing rights. There you have it. Hopefully that was helpful and beneficial. Now, let's go make some money. If you guys have any other questions, um, you can ask them real quick. Otherwise, I am going to hit the button. Hit the button. All right, guys. Have a great day.